I'm Q, this is Bird Road, and folks, we have a treat for you this week. We're gonna take a little bit of a break from the politics and current events and take a little us time and plan a vacation close to home and um, as safely as possible, as safely as we can. If you're like me, you're feeling pretty cooped up these days with Father's Day coming up and uh, the long Juneteenth weekend ahead, you're probably looking for things to do. And here in South Florida, our natural instinct is often to run to the beach, but with COVID-19, it's become kind of a little bit more of a dicey proposition, especially with the big crowds. Even those of us who live in Miami, sometimes we forget how close we are to one of the biggest and most biologically diverse national parks in the country, the Florida Everglades. Again, if you're like me, the Everglades and Big Cypress National Park are criminally underused. I've only been that far west, honestly, if I'm being honest with you, a few times in the 14 years I've lived here. And uh, I plan to remedy that immediately, if not sooner. So to that end, my guest today is a journalist, a well-known figure in Florida media who has, uh, his reporting has run everywhere from here up to Tampa. This is an old friend of mine who to, is today, want to make sure I have the right title for you. You are a, um, a ranger at the Big Cypress National Park. Is that right? Well, uh, technically, I am, yeah, my title has changed a little bit. I was a ranger with the National Park Service, but I have now gone on to uh, the Cooperating Association and I am the program coordinator for the Big Cypress Institute, which I'm actually kind of, I guess that would be, I'm a naturalist too. So if that describes it a little bit better. As summer officially kicks off, he's going to help us uh, sort of plan what we can do out in the wilds of South Florida and how we can avoid uh, becoming gator food. Corey Campbell, welcome to Bird Road. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so like I was saying, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit of multi, I'm wearing a lot of hats right now. Yeah. So but one of my main jobs out here is to help people get inspired about coming out here to their national park lands. Right. And um, the Big Cypress National Preserve is a preserve rather than a park, which gives you a lot of advantages. Right. But um, you do. And like David said, a lot of people have that natural instinct to kind of just go straight to the beach. But um, Everglades and Big Cypress are right on your in your backyard. Exactly. You know? And ge so. generally, before we get into this conversation... I want to urge all of our listeners, if you're in Florida, I know we have a lot of listeners in California, a lot in Texas, Nevada also, wherever you are, uh, if you're looking to like mitigate risk and take a you know not, not so risky day trip or a weekend away from home where there's space, where it's outdoors, consider your nearby national parks. You already pay for them every year with your taxes. And uh, for all the problems that this country has that we talk about every week and all the political issues and social issues, our natural splendor of this country is like truly breathtaking and it can be very restorative, especially during the, the, the tougher times. So Corey, let's jump into it. I, I was hoping you could tell everybody sort of uh, our history, how we met, because we've known each other about 13 years now or so. I think so. It was about 13 years, you know, I kind of um, came out of college, just going from running in a college newspaper at the Miami Dade College there and finding my way into the Herald through the sports, you know, kind of back door through sports. Um, came up in there do a cover and all the high school football games and everything and eventually I was brought into the back into the office and that's where I, I met Dave and we were do, handling the nightly calls and the sports roundups and it was wild times. compiling stuff from <laughs> back even when it was like the old coyote days and the freaking Herald that was like you know DOS based systems and <clears throat> so I think we've been around for a little while Dave yeah man uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've done like a little uh, bit of everything sort of like from from journalism to promotions work to live events type stuff and and now you're at big cypress can you tell us a little bit about 
your journey and, and how you ended up where you're at now and a little bit more about like what it is that you do on a day-by-day basis. I mean, a lot of it's serendipity, you know, just being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> um, my journey's kind of, I've always had a, wore a lot of hats kind of like I'm done now. And that has brought me to where I am. Um, you know, before as a journalist, I've worked in many different jobs, you know, having to survive, you know, here in Florida, it's, it's not always easy to struggle after coming out of the army. Um, I, didn't find work right away so i went to work kind of with whoever i could doing i mean construction type work and building myself up and then after a couple big storms hit in uh, tampa like they were charlie and some of those other ones i managed to save up enough money from doing hurricane cleanup um, with neighbors and things like that to get the money to come down to miami and start school and from there it just kind of launched off Um, i just threw myself into it you know, I was running the newspaper at the school, but I was also coaching baseball at Redberry's Baseball World over down there in uh, yeah. Southwest Miami, and then also working at Brooks Brothers. So I've had to work a lot of jobs to support my career um, in the long <laughs> run, but in, it all came full circle eventually. A lot of it um, is a hustle, man, you know, I in, in Florida. Stuff. It's like, especially in Miami, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hustle. I mean, it really is. I mean, the side I was doing photography at different places and events, I, people saw that I knew a lot of people, so they asked if I would help promote some different stuff. So I was putting on shows at some of like the really old venues in Miami, like Fox's Lounge, and then um, would do photography over Bougainvilliers in South Miami, and mm-hmm. all that while I was still over there doing stuff at the Herald. <laughs> so. Yeah. What a fun place that was. I was, And I remember when you were over there, that was such a great little spot. And it was like a historic Miami spot, and it's not around anymore. The, the building's still there, um, unfortunately. It, it was one of Miami's oldest bars, but they they sold out, and yeah. the, it's now something else, I guess. Or it's just maybe the building's just sitting there. I haven't been over there in a little while. Like, it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't look like there's anything there. But, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it was just like another one of those sort of like steps on the path for you, I, I suppose. I remember when you were, when you were hosting those nights over there. Yeah, we did everything from open mic nights to um, we would have different bands and different artists come through. It, it was a really interesting way to try and get people some extra exposure um, as well as trying to support a, a really old establishment in Miami. Yeah. On the side, I, whenever I wanted to get away, I would always take a trip. I would either get my canoe and go paddle. Well, actually, that all started part of it was I'd hurt my back in a pretty bad accident. and. I felt pretty pretty weak, so like my way of getting back into it is wasn't going to the gym. I don't really like sitting in the gym all the time. I'm more of a person who likes to get out and do things. So living in Florida, we always get out and fish and paddle and hike and do different things. So that's what I did, and um, I used that to become like part of my passion and it becoming part of my career too. Um, and it led me to here. So. Yeah, you and I were part of, and I, I, I like to sort of brag on myself a little bit, but like, you know, you fall under this, our our, um, our friend in common, Justin, who's been on the, who's been on this show a few times and listeners know Justin, we were sort of this like, this era in like the mid 2000, early, two, like, I guess early mid 2000s, whatever you want to call it, of journalists that were kind of going out there and taking our own photos and um, doing our own multimedia and that was kind of the, like I said before, the hustle, like that was the way to, to actually get decent, you know, decent assignments was like if you were the guy that could go out there and bring back the story and bring back the photo or bring back the video, uh, it was valuable. And that was kind of like, I assume when you were going out there and doing a lot of the more nature focused pieces that you were doing, that was like part of the um, 
the value proposition, right? You were going out there and you were bringing back not just the story, but also photos. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it was a package deal. I mean, they paid more, <laughs> but they also wouldn't have to, they wouldn't have to send two, two people, you right. know, you'd have to be, a, I don't know, you're basically going to have to be able to do it. You were considered myself a utility player, you know, just like you were in Justin, you know. So tell me about, I assume that you, you had spent, I remember you had spent some time in Tampa and then you came back down here to South Florida. How did that end up happening? How did you end up, uh, you know, over, over at Big Cypress, at, um, at, uh, at Big Cypress? Okay. So I, as things kind of slowed down there in Miami with the Herald and things, you can kind of see that, you know, I wasn't getting as many assignments and things and there really wasn't room for it. The paper shrunk, um, ended up making my, my back home because some family had some issues and I was just. Tampa's where I was originally from there, as I said, and I just kind of felt like I needed to be there. So during that time, I went ahead and decided to further my, develop myself. As you said, to be a good utility player, you, you kind of have to be able to do everything. And one of the things I was lacking in was video. Um, so went to I was since I was a veteran, I had some leftover Army education benefits, so I went back to school over in Ebor City um at the local community college it's just hillsborough community college it was right there in ebor city which was a kind of an epicenter for entertainment and culture right there in tampa um so during that time i went ahead and learned everything i could about running a radio radio studio or three channel radio state or three channel tv stations you know learning the equipment all the different ways and you know changing the writing from just from scripts or writing for scripts rather than just for the newspaper so it was kind of a transition for me and the, during that process, I had to take an internship, and I was trying to figure out what was the coolest place I could do, take an internship for shooting video that I'd really enjoy. And I had already taken one of the stories I did for the Herald was on the Wilderness Waterway here, the Everglades Wilderness Waterway, which is a 99-mile trip, which I did in the canoe. And so I had a really good, I, I don't know, I, I love the Everglades. <laughs> and um, I saw there was an opportunity for an internship here, and... I just wrote my heart out in the little opening letter, and all of a sudden, a couple months later, I had the spot. Didn't even know what it meant. I didn't know if I was going to be living in a cabin or if I was going to be living in a tent, but I was just excited to go. Um, turns out it really wasn't what my internship needed, <laughs> but it was what I needed. So um, I still kept going with the internship. I didn't do as much video and things like that as I needed to because there were so many things happening. We had the government shut down. So yeah. um, my transition from there as I, while I was in Tampa, I was, I would, uh, like I said, you have to kind of do whatever you can sometimes. And I got on with a restaurant that was opening a little gastro pub and they needed someone to handle their entertainment and help their marketing. So I was doing their social media marketing. Um, and then I was working with a local website called um, 813 area up in the area there who had uh they covered almost every event and every club that you could think of in tampa so i was doing photos at every major music festival they had i was doing the big gasparilla parade i was, got to walk the parade in the inside taking photos so all that stuff is really fun stuff um and but you know eventually i you know your, your health kind of you get old eventually <laughs> so <laughs> Body. That's what they tell Can't me. Keep yeah. going out and handling all those. <laughs> yeah, my doctor said you you need to find a little healthier lifestyle. So covering the rum festivals and margarita festivals and hanging out with Shaggy <laughs> up on the stage really wasn't the quite the great thing to do. So uh, <laughs> um, that internship, I thought, you know what, this would be a good chance for me to get back into nature and just focus on focus on my health. 
Yeah. Like a lot of people have done over the years. Come to South Florida for your health. <laughs> your constitution. <laughs> yes. Got to improve the constitution. <laughs> the nice balmy air keeps you, uh, you know, a little healthier than, than, than it would up north in the frozen tundra of, uh, of Tampa. <laughs> um, look. Hey, it's, it's worse for presidents and many other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start off as we talk about, um, you know, this area, which I do plan to go to pretty soon. Give us a basic starting off with like, I know that you know so much about the air, this, the, not just the Everglades, but like the history of the region. Um, talk about the area that we're talking about specifically. What is the difference between the Everglades and big Cypress? Well, um, so a big difference is around the, not to go into a full like history lesson or anything here, but the kind of long story short, but in the late 1800s, we decided to, get rid of this useless swamp land we had down here. You know, I mean, people didn't have any idea really what it was. Um, so a guy by the name of Hamilton Diston came in and started draining it out, bought the land from the government for acre pennies for acres, um, I mean, millions of acres, and they started carving it out. They did a fairly decent job, but when the rains came, they realized it all kind of filled up again. Right. And what it was filling up is all the way from Kissimmee, north of Lake Okeechobee, um, is where the Everglades really starts. And they call it the river grass, and that was coined by Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, because they didn't know quite what to call it, but the water didn't move. It was a very large body. It's a, what they almost call like a slough running through the center of the state, and mainly it's built up of sawgrass and um, spotted with tree islands, and the water would flow through, filter through all that grass, soak into the soil, and down into our aquifer system. So it's a really vital part of Florida. That aquifer system provides water for people as far north as South Carolina and their whole entire state. It's broken up in different divisions, but we don't really know how it all connects. And, um, you know, as our early explorers looked through Florida, it, I kind of see Florida is a fountain of youth, you know, ill itself. You know, as the water soaks through, it springs back up and springs. It works like a big fountain. Um, so the Everglades running down the center of the state, down through Okeechobee would traditionally spill over um, and then flow down out through Miami. Um, the early, or I think the early Calusas, or uh, they called that area the Miami, that water flowing down into there. So that's kind of where Miami got his name, um, was that water flowing down through. And then you have um, the Seminoles called it Paheoki, mm -hmm. and that's the big area here in the middle. So, but the difference between Big Cypress is because everything's so carved up with levees and dikes, and we've cordoned off the lake with a big giant levee, and Big Cypress has, sits on a little bit of a basin. So I don't know if you've seen all those charts before, but they show the flow of the water, and it flows down and then funnels up and spreads out once it gets past or gets down to our area. Mm -hmm. But the ridge of Big Cypress keeps it flowing down a little bit more towards the Everglades City area and into the 10,000 Islands, that upper portion of the Everglades. So I always like to describe it as the Big Cypress is like a key sitting in the upper portion of the Everglades, providing a vast amount of water. Um, and it's funny because Pahokee and now and this Pahokee is now like to, to this day up near just I guess it would just be along the southern rim of Okeechobee. Pahokee is a a city that um you know if you're a Floridian you know Pahokee is sort of a home for you know great high school football, but it, I, I assume that it derives its name from that original um, pronunciation from indigenous people. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you think about it, all right, so this area before was established, um, well, established, it was 
kind of just here for the Seminoles. The Seminoles were the were the last remaining of the Creek and others. Indians from the north part of Florida that have been pushed down um, and defied Andrew Jackson's orders to go to the Arkansas Territory and head west. And then we had the series of Seminole Wars in the 1800s. And um, those those tribes are considered <clears throat> undefeated tribes. They never sounded, never filled out a treaty or anything else, and they continue to live in this area. Their cultures changed because we built a road through the middle of it, that Tammy Emery Trail, um, what I talk about, became a very large levee straight through the middle of the Everglades, cutting off the flow of the water. And um, you guys probably just noticed last month there was these huge fires out there, probably seen some of the smoke. Well, that was there right on the edge of the Everglades in Big Cypress. And it's that's why you see the smoke. It's so close to you. A lot of people don't realize how close it is. Um, now, is, is that like an know, intermittent so thing? Because days. I feel like if you live in Miami, like where I live, which is sort of in the center of, of like the civilization area, like in the you know, Gable, South Miami area, every once in a while you smell the sm the fire from those smokes. It, uh, for, you smell the smoke from those fires. It seems like that's kind of um, a regular occurrence. Is that the case? It is, especially since we built the road. Mm. Um, and that's why you hear a lot of people trying to fix the Everglades because we've choked off the flow of the water. Um, traditionally, they did have fire and water is dominant to this land. Like it needs it. It's, the soil is very... There's a very thin layer of soil, so there's not a lot of nutrients, and the fire provides the nutrients, but typically there's enough water to keep that fire from spreading over thousands of acres. Like one of the fires we just had was over 30,000 acres. Oh um, so that would normally keep that down. And then we get those fires traditionally through summer, the summer with the storms coming in and lightning. Right. And so it is a traditional thing, but since we've choked off so much of the water over the years, we get these really big droughts, and um, that causes more potential for fire because there's more fuel. You talk about this huge swath um, of land, yeah. and um, and I, I'm, as we kind of look at it logistically, uh, Tamiami Trail, if you ever look at it on a map, is just like you say, it's this, it's this road um, that I think is very small in two lanes in most places. It just bisects right through the middle of, uh, you know, it goes, runs east-west and cuts right through the middle. Um, as we talk about, like, trying to go out and appreciate some of this some of this uh, natural park uh, area, like, walk us through, like, how do you get into the park? Because it seems, the times that I've driven Tamiami Trail and the times that I've seen it, it seems very dense and kind of difficult to, to navigate. Like, is, a, is there a, a point? I mean, obviously there's a point of entry, but, like, how do you get in there is there like an official entrance and like help us like navigate like where you go in that area? All right, so a couple of different things. So if you have big or there's Big Cypress National Preserve, which is further down. The it starts about it starts about forty miles out from Miami. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Everglades itself, it's um, Tamiami Tamiami Trail splits the Everglades. The upper portion of that is the Everglades. Side on the northern portion of is like water management area, which is still considered part of the Everglades, but it's not the part that you're going to visit. Right. Um, like inside of a park, you have specific places you're allowed to go. In the preserve, you have what you call dispersed use. You can you can actually travel throughout the area, but in the Everglades, you can't just go anywhere. So it's a good point to know where to go. Um, along Tamiami Trail, you have an area called Shark Valley, which is a 15-mile bike loop with a great observational tower in the middle of it, but it's seven miles down. So you can't drive it, so you either walk it or bike it, or there is a tram that you can take for $25 a person. Um, entrance fee, um, I, I don't hope it hasn't gone up again. I think it was $30 a uh, carload. Yeah. 
and um, we'll post we'll post a link we'll, we'll post a link in the a, uh, in, in the episode description just so people can um, can you know verify for themselves. Just to yeah, sure. and that's just um, um, nds.gov/ever. Yeah, you know, E V E R or NPS.gov slash B I C Y for Big Cypress. And that'll give you information for each of those. But yeah, so Shark Valley is one of the entrances. On the far side, uh, you have Everglades City, which is the upper portion in 10,000 Islands. And there's more paddling. You have it's a mangrove forest that stretches all the way down to the southern portion of Florida. And that's still part of the Everglades. And if you circle back around, another way to get into the Everglades is on Homestead side. Um, you would go down. Uh, to, uh, what is it? I think it's 360. It's basically you go all the way down the, the, the homestead there. I forget the, which road so that's, it is. So that's kind of coming head, at it sort of from the south, right? That's like going down south in the more metropolitan yeah. area and then like down to homestead and then coming up from the south as opposed to, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Tamiami Trail, which cuts further to the north. Yes. So if you're more further to the south, you may want to go that way, but there's kind of a difference between the two. So if you go further south, on the south side, you have camping, um, there is camping on the north side, but you go all the way far west and you go to camp on the islands. There's actual campground down in, uh, in Flamingo if you travel all the way down. But Flamingo, the entrance to the Everglades there with the Ernest Co. Visitor Center is who that's a person who helped design the Everglades was Ernest Co. And it opened in 1947. Right there at the entrance, you still have to travel another 40 miles down to get to the get to Flamingo. If I could offer a recommendation. Is I suggest that you just travel along 41 mm-hmm. and come out to Big Cypress. There's no entrance fee. Not that Jeeves promote us or, you know, to their horns. <laughs> we don't charge an entrance fee. But uh, And then they do have the camping here with primitive camping. There is campgrounds um, that are that have RV hookups. And then there's dispersed use camping, which is all you need to do is have a free uh, backcountry permit. And you can hike up onto some of our trails and pitch a tent or put up a hammock. How do, how do you get that sure permit? You some no CM netting. How, how do you like? Is there? Um, do you have to do that beforehand, or uh, is that like online that you can do something like that? You can do it. You can print it offline, and you just drop it in the box at the trailheads. Oh, cool. And then um, see in Big Cypress. See, they have about they have just a few trails that you're allowed to go on in, in the Everglades. Um, I love the Everglades for the Everglades National Park. It's a great place on that side, but <clears throat> it is really spread out, and you got to be prepared to travel that whole 40 miles to really get the experience and. Um, one of the funnest things I've done down there is actually paddle through Hell's Bay, and that's a whole series. It's like a mangrove estuary that you're paddling around, and it's you need to make sure you have a compass and pretty know your way around. There's markers and stuff like that, but it can be a little weary for someone that's un, un, you know new to paddling uh-huh. or hasn't gone out and explored like that. So if you're very new to things, and you, you're probably better off to stick to just the national park. They have the set trail right there, and you can walk in, and it's got little signs telling you what the trees are and everything like that, you know. But if you want to really get out and experience some more, you can come out here to Big Cypress. And there are some guides. If you are an experienced, I suggest using a guide. and Or you can, um, I, where I'm working with is the Big Cypress Institute. Um, we're not fully open yet because of the COVID stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, you can always check in with us too at bigcypressinstitute.org. That's a really good question. That's a really good point that you bring up. And I was wondering if maybe you could run us down uh, right now in this moment on June 19th, 2020. Like what things, uh, what if anything, because when you go visit the site, there's um, some notifications of some things that are reopening and some things that are still not in service. What can people expect right now is there's, I, I know that there's probably not still the same level of staffing and support as there is during non-pandemic times. What, um, 
what's not functioning right now or what what is like closed right now and then you know what is open? okay so most of the park stores are pretty much shut down right now at the moment um i believe at royal palm visitor center and the everglades you, you we do have a store open um they are having some of the bathrooms open but pretty much all the ranger stations and things like that are shut down. Um, so visitor services are closed. So it's really important that you get the information you need before you head out. Um, I would hit those websites and then they have little day planners and trips and little brochures that you can download onto your phone that give you kind of a tour. Um, in Big Cypress, you have several scenic drives um, of which like Loop Road was one of was a really great one. It's about 25 miles long. Uh, part of it's dirt, uh, yeah. but you really get back into the backcountry. And that loop road has got kind of a cool history to it too. But I won't get into that. But yeah, but yeah, big side. No, 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 no. I love the history of loop road. I've always wanted to. I've I've always loved. I've I've loved the idea of. um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the show before, but I've had conversations with it before. Loop road is some of the most colorful history in South Florida. The um, that I've I've read about years ago. Which uh, one of the things that I always found fascinating, which I think there are still remnants of it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Corey, but Gator Hook Lodge was this place that existed. It was sort of like a roadhouse, yeah. right? That was, it was, it was like, it was an hour and a half away from any law enforcement. So if, if, if something happened there, it was an hour and a half before any cops could even get there. And uh, it was this like outlaw station and um, the Pinecrest ghost town. Uh, there are rumors, and I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but that Al Capone used to have a mansion that burned down. Uh, it, this is like all stuff that I've accrued in well, my head over the years. But what, so what 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 do you know about about Loop Road? Loop Road is pretty cool in my mind. I want to go check it out. Well, it's you know honestly, it was the first part of Tamiami Trail. I mean, it was originally built by um. All right, I'm confusing my names here off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> it was originally built in 1913, uh, but. They, and there were three towns along there, so it was loggers. There, there were it was a, a little booming area, and so they did have the Gator Hooks Saloon. It was like a little place hidden off the edge. They said it was somewhere near where the S is in the road. There's like a little bend in the road, and and it was an area. The, the south area was where you had a lot of. Let's see, you, you had where a lot of the runaways from the Seminoles were. Mm-hmm. You had, you had. Um, you know, it was where the toughest people, like people were like murderers, murderers and things yeah, like that. That's where they outlaw. came to hide. Yeah. You know, so you have the poachers, um, the plume hunters, the uh, moonshiners. And yeah, you had that other element that were trying to escape the law of North. So they came down here to South Florida, like Al Capone and stuff like that, too. So supposedly his thing was a brothel. He had like a little brothel or something like that that you can supposedly, if, you, if you're willing to... Um, go through a bunch of poison ivy and stuff like that, you may still find the steps. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, there's photos the that, that are floating around. around the internet of um, these, like, sort of disembodied steps that are, like, you know, like ivory steps in the middle of a swamp, basically, and uh, purported to be the remains of, of Al Capone's secret, yeah, secret mansion or whatever. It's it's really fascinating. And I, I guess it's off the beaten path, I would imagine. And one of the other things is that old saloon, they said the guy the guy who owned the old Gator Hook Saloon, when the park service, it was standing before, but when the park service came in, they said he didn't want anybody to come out there and have it. So he went back out there and burned it down. That's uh, crazy. So <laughs> that would have been um, around, around 1974 when the park service got got this area. But, um, man, I'm just drawing. Why am I going blank on the person's name who started that? Is He was a captain of the Seminole Wars. Um, he was a tax collector there in Miami. Um, 
Yeah, because this was kind of like for 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 folks listening, like if any of you ever watched, if you read accounts of like what that area was like back in the day, it's like I don't know if anybody out there watched. I mean, I'm sure they did. It was a popular show, Deadwood on HBO, like where it was very frontiersy, and you know, it was very like uh, it was a boomtown. It was, but it was one of these boomtowns that just kind of nothing came of it because of, uh, and you could probably explain this better, Corey, but like the Tamiami Trail. It had the it ended up having the Miami part, but not, not the Tam part, right? Like it didn't it didn't end up getting finished. Maybe you can um, sort of share a little bit of that history. Well, on a loop roadside, they started they started trying to build it, but then Baron Collier came in and um, appealed to the state of Florida, saying if you they went broke, so the, the whole trail, the whole idea was closing out. A lot of people really wanted it to happen because they had property in the area. One of them being which Baron Collier and. So he came to the state and said, hey, I will help finishing this road. The road was Tampa to Miami. That's why it's called the Tamiami. And um, they were they kind of stopped up there with Fort Myers, and then it was all the way um, stopped down there at the end of Loop Road. And um, so Collier got the approval. He started building it, turned Everglades City into the work town. So Ever- Everglades City itself was pretty much there founded. It used to be called Everglades. And it became Everglades City because it was Baron Collier's work town. So everybody was there was working on building this trail. They say it took 300 million sticks of Hercules dynamite to blow out um, the canal to build the bed road for that. But they ended up building it together, finally finishing it by 1928. Baron Collier had actually filed for bankruptcy, and he didn't even finish doing it, but the state of Florida did. But he still got, for doing the work, he got the name Collier County in his own name. Mm-hmm. Which gave him a lot of uh, power, a lot of power, right. really. Yeah. In the end, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had the county in his own name, so he had his, he was the county seat, you know. So he approved and disapproved permits, you know, for his own businesses. Um, he ended up passing away fairly early on, I think, 1939. But uh, David Graham Copeland um, was his business manager and continued to go on and do a lot of good things and. So even from him, we have a lot of the Civil War sites marked out and a lot of historic sites we'll still know because he took the time to put them in place. Um, and I'm still still thinking the Loop Road Builder's name. You know, he had had the two different towns in there. Pinecrest was one of the towns, and then um, you've moved on. There's um, his other one. It was all for logging at first. And so they used that to, the, you know, you heard about that Miami Pine or, or Dade County Pine. Yeah. Um, that they build. I don't know if you heard of that, but that's where a lot of it came from, right out in that area. It was really strong and it was somewhat fire resistant because it would been this old, really old, old wood and withstood all those fires for years. Um, so that's part of it. Yeah, which it, a lot of that is, is extinct now. Like you, can't, you can't really find a lot of that wood these days. Like it's all been kind of uh, torn out, right? It's all, most of it's all been torn out if you're willing to. So you head down on Loop Road and you get down there. There, what used to be the beginning portion of the Florida National Scenic Trail. And it's about an eight mile, six to eight mile stretch. I can't think off the top of my head right now, but it, you can walk that up and you do get to see some of the older pines and some of the older cypress because they wouldn't get the pine and the cypress. The cypress was more valuable, but they, they logged a lot of the big trees out and um, they're still evident now. Um, there's old tram roads where they put, where they would lay, lay down rough tracks and put these railroad trains in there to drag out the trees. They would literally strap wheels onto the trees, the huge trees, and then pull them out with a railroad or, uh, or locomotive. 
So I'm gonna and I'm gonna those locomotive trails. I'm gonna butcher this name, but um, still hike on them. I'm gonna butcher this name, but I think I found the guy you're talking about. And just so everybody knows at home, Jordan, 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 yeah, James, James Franklin, Franklin Jordan, yeah, that's what I was looking at. <laughs> and you did that with all, with with, Took with me a second. yeah, you did that with your mind. I, what I was gonna tell people at home is that Corey's out in the middle of of the place that we're talking about right now, where there's not exactly ready internet connection so um i i of course i'm sitting comfortably in my in my office in in south miami so i was able to <laughs> google it but uh yeah that's that's right it was he was the father of the tamiami trail just to like uh you know get that scratch that itch of not being able to, to you know remember yeah no it took name. a second but as soon as you said you had it my mate my brain said wait <laughs> there it is i knew it then uh yeah he started that and it, he didn't get to finish it because of uh world war one yeah. He lost. They lost all the people to be able to work. Um, so it's just still a dirt road. It's kind of crazy. It's been there before the actual Tamanian Trail was built, and that dirt road is still there. And they continue to work on it, <laughs> um, making it a little smoother. There are some potholes if you go out there traveling, but it is one of the cooler areas. And that's just that they call it the they're a forty mile bend. Yeah. So it's as you get mile marker thirty nine, it's right there. You make a left hand turn. Um, and, you know, I, I think Shark Valley itself. Is around 30, maybe, mile marker 30 or so. It's not too far. So it's just down the road from there. And there you can hike. Um, if you happen to have a, um airboat, you can take airboats out down that way as long as the trails are open. Um, there's so much you can do out here in Big Cypress, which makes it really cool and gets you, get you out there into the into the wilderness you know so you can really connect to it so let's talk a little bit about that um the i give you uh give you and, and all the folks over at the at the national parks website uh, who put together some of the materials a lot of credit for transparency because when you go and check out the pdf that you guys have on the big cypress right there uh on the loop road uh pdf scenic tour they show you like hey you're gonna see a big ass gator like this potentially uh out on the road right and it's right there in a full in full color right there on the on the website um so that's what the first thing i think that for some of the more tender-footed uh listeners out there that are like me like how, how do you how do you stay safe Corey? like what are the things that you need to pack bring with you what are the like the do's and the don'ts for when you're out there because like this is still very wild country and um you know a lot of us are city dwellers so what what, what tips can you give us well, all right, so realistically, the most dangerous thing you're going to do is get in your car. I mean, getting on the road right there is really the most dangerous part about Big Cypress. Highway 41 itself, just be safe on the road. Don't stop and try and look at an alligator while you're driving down the highway. <laughs> we have people <laughs> doing that, where people, and then people are driving 70, 80 miles down the highway, the two-lane highway. Um, <clears throat> so that's one thing. Um, so if you do stop, make sure you stop at like a real place. Like, so there are designated stops, like the Oasis Visitor Center. You want to see alligators? Go to the Oasis Visitor Center. There's a nice long boardwalk, probably about 50 yards long, and it's going to have the highest abundance of alligators you're going to see in one spot because we have the canal right there, and it's like they have the water. They don't have to dig a hole. They're just alligators can be lazy at times. You know, you've seen them laying around, right? Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's one way, the safest way is go ahead and stay in the designated areas, especially if you don't have any experience in the backcountry. Um, make sure you bring water. The, the stores aren't open yet. Yeah. Um, some of the rest, restaurant facilities are, but not all of them. Uh, so try to make sure you limit your need for the bathroom trips. And then if you do, um, practice leave no trace principles if you have to step off into the, you know, step off a trail or something like that. 
which you know means pack everything out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Whatever you brought with you, bring back. Yeah. To... yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can bury bury some things, but you you don't <laughs> want to bury non biodegradable paper and things like that. You know, so um, you're gonna have to be aware of that. Um, hydration and food. Um, sunblock. I mean, it's hot out here. It's summer. We're in Florida. Um, at any given moment, we can get a storm. So be aware of storms. Right. Uh, keep an eye on the weather. I just got this cool watch that has a barometer in it. It came in yesterday, and it actually alerts me if the if it starts dropping. Hmm. I was like, that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Um, if you do. Um, other safety things is, you know, uh, right kind of shoes. So if you are going to go on off the trail and stuff like that, make sure you have tight-fitting shoes. It doesn't have to be some super expensive sneaker or something like that or high or hiking boot like a really expensive hiking boot really old sneakers work well as long as they're tight um some of the things you can get off trail and the trails here aren't paved you know so a hiking stick is usually pretty good and we use it to probe the ground in front of you to make sure there's no solution holes you know to describe what a solution hole is maybe take a little bit longer but i think the short version is, is south florida is limestone and limestone is like a big piece of swiss cheese yeah. and as you're walking along um, parts there is nothing but it's just the bare limestone of South Florida. So if it's got water, which it'll have right this time of year, you're going to get a little wet, but you won't see those holes. So you got to probe around to make sure you don't get your foot caught in it. And they're usually full of mud. And if you don't have your shoes tight, it's going to suck your shoe right off your foot. Well, that's a good point really that you bring up. That, that's a good point that you down. bring up, Corey. Um, it's summertime. My understanding is like in a lot of these areas, you've got water up to your hips. Um, like is, is summer worse for that or is it, you know, should you prepare, uh, to be kind of traipsing through water or is it, is it low, low tide, high tide season? Like what, what's going on right now during summertime? <laughs> well, they call it the hydro period <laughs> and, um, we are in the middle of the hydro period and, um, and that's not like Dr. Dre's hydro now. So, you know. <laughs> Unless you bring uh, your own with you, which is not encouraged by the federal government, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's still federally not considered legal. So, <laughs> um, But it, that's where we're getting 50% of the time out of the year, about 50% of the year, the area gets flooded over with water. Um, we just came out of a really dry season. We just had all those fires because of it. And you could have walked into the swamp and not gotten your feet wet at all. But right now, we just had massive amount of rain, like a monsoon coming in just a couple of days. And we went, it's went up a couple of feet um, from what it was. So probably right about now, it could be up to your hip in certain spots. But yeah. there are trails that you don't have to worry about that. You know, like like I kind of mentioned, there was those old logging roads or trams. Well, it, they're raised up. They're out of the water. And the cool thing is they used to be a way for them to decimate the nature. Now it's a way for naturalists and birders and people that love the area to walk out and be able to see the area more easily. Um, so Fire Prairie Trail is a great one for that, and that's going to be up off Turner River Road. Um, another way to stay safe is those websites have, like you said, very detailed publications that will give you descriptions. So there's a couple of what they call, um, like, scenic drive guides that tell you mile per mile what you're going to see like yeah. all right over here to the right you got alligators <laughs> you know <laughs> and it'll give you a, a rundown and it even shows you some pictures and things like that so you actually know what you're looking at if you're you know new to looking at birds or reptilians and things last thing last last thing one of the big things is respect respect nature mm. respect wildlife 
you know, give it distance. Like everybody's trying to socially distance right now. This is one distancing you never stop doing. Um, <laughs> you see an alligator, stay, stay about, you know, a few meters away. Um, you know, same thing with snakes and stuff like that. Don't go up poking it, um, poking the water moccasin to get his mouth open or something like that. Really ticks me off when I see people do that because I may have to walk behind them and that water moccasin is not going to be happy. After. Um, a lot of the wildlife isn't going to come after you. You know, people get scared of that, but it's, um, as long as you respect it, I haven't had any issues, and I'm out here living. I'm right in the middle of the preserve right now, so <laughs> I got a, a rattlesnake that comes by. I call him Ricky Ticky Tabby. I got a bear that runs around the property, and there's stuff. They keep telling me the panthers here, but I haven't seen them. So yeah, it's got a collar on it. He's so waiting for the right time. It. He's waiting for and the right like, time yeah. to introduce himself to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I've heard of, I heard it before. Like, and I was raised, made the hair stand up on my and the back of my neck and. I just got out of the car. Of course, there was no no batteries in my sound recorder and all this other stuff. I'm trying to do it while not moving. I'm trying to find all this stuff, and I'm hearing like a growl. And um, it turned out later, I found out from the biologist there was a fresh kill, just a hundred like a hundred meters away. Um, and that's what you were picking up. And I probably caught it. I, I, well, I caught him right in the middle of moving it or something like that, and they were just letting me know to stay the hell away. <laughs> <laughs> um, my last question for you that I, that I want to uh, you know leave our, our listeners with as as um, you know the kind of head out there is before you get to the official I guess the uh, the official you know federal park itself. There's pro- I think there's a lot of different you know like airboat captains and like you know pull offs and drive offs and and different people out there. Um, like, should people be aware of those, those things or like, like, you know, are those worth it? Are, are those worthwhile? I mean, I know a lot of them are sort of just tourist traps, but I mean, what are your, what are your takes on a lot of the, you know, kind yeah. of random folks out there running their own little businesses? Sure. Um, there's, all right, there's a lot of different stuff out there. So a lot of people see the airboats and airboats are great. It's, it's a, it's a ride. It's, it's like a fun ride. They can be kind of loud. Um, but it's going to be a fun ride where you're going to get to get out there and slide across the grass. If you take one that's further to the east, you're going to experience that river of grass. If you take one of the airboat captains that's further out to the west, you're going to get to the mangrove tunnels and the saltwater side. So there's a little bit of a difference there you'll, of what you're seeing. Um, you'll still probably see alligators and birds and all that other stuff, and, but there's that. But um, the big cypress itself, since it is a preserve rather than a park and what they preserved wasn't the land it was the use of the land at the time so the use of the land at the time allows for hunting fishing off-road vehicle use so you can go out and get an off-road vehicle inspection on your four-wheel drive and as long as you get the back the backcountry driver's license you can drive and um, in the backcountry you get a permit and get an inspection you're allowed to take it and drive your vehicle back there it's like, you have to have a swamp buggy in most areas but there is areas where they have street legal four by fours you can go um, or if you don't want to pay the money for that there is another one of the concessions that are out there is the swamp buggy drivers and that's a cool way to be able to experience a backcountry it's a very slow ride but you get to drive miles back in there and you can see panther and bear and you know you're getting so far away from the city that you actually start to not hear the cars and the other noise and um, just the wind in the trees. It's a pretty awesome thing. Um, also, there's paddling, you know, so there are some paddling ones and a neat trip you might think of taking if you're going to come out as a pole boat trip. Um, there's a guy who's called Everglades Nature Tours. They're pretty good over there. Um, they they have the Skunk Ape headquarters. So if you ever wondered about the legend of the Skunk Ape, and, which we still consider it a legend, <laughs> the Park Service doesn't uh, <laughs> identify it. 
as being a natural thing or something that's occurring. But <clears throat> there are legends that there is a mythical creature out here that likes wine yeah. and beans and stuff. And Got his own beer <laughs> named after him. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a there's a lot of things named after it apparently these days, <laughs> and uh, it's a. It's a neat place out here. You know, they still there's people here like them. The, that's the Sheely family, and they've been here for probably five generations. Wow. Uh, one of the old North cemeteries has like a, their name is still up in there from uh, 1800s. You know, so back there's still people here from Spanish land deeds, and people that were running from the the north. You know, as part of the South, or there were British or British loyalists who were here when we got, became a territory. You know, right. so all these different areas have so like there's, there's still so much culture. There's even a story about a guy who was Jose Gaspar, which is a Gasparilla parade in Tampa. He supposedly was the last surviving member who lived on an island. His name was uh, uh, George George Gomez, I think it is. I may be messing up the first name, uh, George or John Gomez, but he supposedly lived down on an island. And <laughs> I don't know. There's just all these stories out here that you hear about. But uh, it's a really cool place to get out and visit, and it's a great way to, you know, break the quarantine. Well, thank you for sharing it with us, and I'm excited. I'm going to head out there. I encourage everybody else to, um, you know, if you're down here in Florida, most of our listeners are here in South Florida, and, um, you know, maybe you haven't thought of breaking quarantine by by getting out there into, you know, into Big Cypress and the Everglades. Um, Corey, where can people follow you or learn more about you, or where do you want to send people? You know, if they want to look more into the Big Cypress Institute, they can. They can find us on, on you know, Facebook and also on Instagram there. Uh, we work directly with the Park Service. We are the cooperating association there. Um, so if you want to find more information, I'd say look for us there. And uh, I'll be updating it as we start to open back up again. And I uh, hope everybody gets a chance to get out. 